going to uh, extend our focus beyond verses 1 through 5 this morning. Uh, Actually, we're going to look at verses 1 through 14. Uh, I think it would be helpful for us to see uh, these verses as a whole. And uh, Lord willing, we'll come back another time and focus on some of the details. But today I want us to see the overall argument that Paul is making in verses 1 through 14 of Galatians chapter 3. Uh, The question in a nutshell for us this morning is this. Why? Why have you forgotten the gospel? And it is a question not for the unbeliever, but for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why have you forgotten the gospel? Uh, Before we read our uh, passage, let me lead us once again in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that down through the ages you have fed your sheep from every word that proceeds from your mouth. Thank you that Jesus Christ is our teacher and that the Holy Spirit has been given to us to give us understanding, to open our hearts and receive all that you would say to us. And so, Lord, we ask that today you would melt our hearts with the truth of your word and work in us so that we might seek and do your will in our lives. We pray, we pray for grace as your word is ministered to us. May minds and ears and hearts be open to everything that you would speak to us today. Have communion with us in these moments, Lord. May we all truly sense that it is the Lord speaking to us today from his word. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, let's hear God's word. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then... Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified by God Uh, Before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. 
Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Well, it's hard to uh, believe, but next year will be the 20th anniversary of the film Saving Private Ryan. Uh, It makes me feel kind of old because I uh, remember when that movie came out in theater. You remember the story of the movie Saving Private Ryan? It's about a band of soldiers who were sent on a rescue mission uh, for, for Private Ryan whose three brothers had been killed in combat. And so this band of soldiers led by, uh, I, think it's, I think his name's Captain Miller, led, uh, played by Tom Hanks, leads this group of men behind enemy lines to save Private Ryan. And along the way, many men lay down their lives for this mission. They make the ultimate sacrifice. And lives were lost for this one man. If you've seen the film, you know toward the end, um, there is a a scene at the end where Captain Miller, Tom Hanks, is taking his uh, last breaths, and he says to Private Ryan, earn this. Earn it. I wonder if that's where some of you are at in your thinking about the Christian life. God has saved you graciously, He has accomplished his rescue mission at great cost. The cost of his one and only son who laid down his life for you. And and you think that God's message to you now is basically this. Earn it. Earn this. I got started by grace. A work of salvation. All of grace. But now, now, it's up to me. What started by grace is now going to be completed by works. God rescued me, but now i got to earn it. I wonder, my friends, if that's how you think about the Christian life. I think Paul is talking about that here in this passage and talking about that throughout the letter to the Galatians because that spirit was prevalent in the churches of Galatia. Paul asks the Galatians in uh, verse 2, Did you receive the Spirit by works of law or by hearing with faith? In other words, how did you become Christian? How did you become a Christian? Let's remember back with me, dear Galatians. Think back about a year or so ago when I was with you in your towns and I preached the gospel. Do Do you remember what I said to you? I said to you that all of you are sinners None of you can be justified by works of the law. None of you can be right with God by obedience to the law. But Jesus Christ gave himself up on the cross for sinners. And he was buried. And three days later, he was raised victorious over Satan and sin and death. And he's seated at the right hand of God. And he's returning one day to judge the living and the dead. Do you, do you remember that? Do you remember what I proclaimed to you when I was with you? And if you believe in him, you can be fully pardoned, fully reconciled to God. 
he's pressing them. Do you remember? Do you remember when you heard that message? What happened in your lives? When I, when I set Christ out before you, as you heard it, you believed. You didn't, you didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. But as Christ was set before you, you, you found coming up from the depths of your soul this cry, Abba, Father, Jesus is Lord. You believed. You received the Spirit by faith. You believed in the gospel that you heard. You didn't work for it. You didn't merit it. You didn't warrant it. You didn't earn it at all. It came to you by grace. And so verse 3 presses them further. Are you so foolish? Having, Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected? Are you now being completed By the flesh. Why are you returning to the idea that works are going to perfect you? That somehow your works qualify you for the salvation that God has so freely given to you in Christ. And why, in Paul's own language, are you returning to the yoke of slavery when for freedom, freedom in the deepest, realest, truest sense... Christ has set you free. That's what Paul is asking the Galatians. Because if, if you say that Christ died so that you could earn it, you might as well say that the death of Christ on the cross is of no value to you. And so, my friends, I want us to explore what Paul is saying in this passage to the Galatians. But let's acknowledge that these questions are directed to us today. And uh, I, I, want to, I want to try to capture the logic of what Paul is getting at in this passage simply by asking three questions. Begin in the middle of this passage and ask the first question, why does Paul appeal to Abraham? In verses 6 and through 9. In verses 6 through 9, Paul is trying to, to remind the Galatians how salvation works. You've forgotten the economy of the gospel. You've forgotten how God works in salvation. And so what does he do? He takes them back. He takes them back to the beginning, doesn't he? He takes them back to the book of Genesis. All the way back to Abraham. And there's a reason he's going all the way back to Abraham. Because those troublemakers that we've called the Judaizers were saying in the churches of Galatia, it's not enough for Gentiles To be justified by faith alone in Christ alone. They need to be circumcised. They need to add certain works to faith in order for that to be really complete. They need to do certain things. They need to keep the Mosaic law. And so Paul takes them back to Abraham where circumcision began. Now ask yourself the question here. How was Abraham brought into a right relationship with God? How was he declared to be in the right with God? And Paul quotes that glorious text in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham Abraham was a sinner. Abraham was unrighteous, But Abraham believed the promises of God and God counted it as righteousness to him. He accounted him. He reckoned righteousness to him. 
I just learned this week with there's a new version out for uh, <clears throat> for iPhones, and one of the neat things I saw that you can do now maybe this is something you could do before and I didn't know it, but you can transfer funds from one a bank one bank account to another bank account simply through text messages. Uh, it's an incredible thing when when you think about it. I want you to think about it in in these terms for a second. When Abraham believed God. It was as though God took his righteousness and deposited it directly into Abraham's account. That's what happened when Abraham believed the promise of God. The promise of God that was centered on a promised seed who would come to bring blessing to the nations. A promise fulfilled in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Abraham believed the promises of God, there was suddenly a whopping righteousness in Abraham's account. He who was bankrupt, you know, whose account was, there was a deficit, was now filled up with the very righteousness of God. This was, this was an issue Martin Luther wrestled with uh, in his early life. Again, as we approach the 500th anniversary of Luther nailing the 95 Theses to the castle church door in Wittenberg, this was something that he was troubled with to the core. Luther asked himself the question, how can I be right with God? And if I have to earn it, when do I know that what I've done is enough? i tell a story to uh, try to illustrate that here in a minute. But first, ask yourself that question again. What did Abraham do? And in, in, in Genesis 15, what did he do? He, he didn't work. He didn't earn it. He believed God. He trusted in the promises of, uh, of a seed who would come to bring blessing to the nations and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now that story, William Herschel Some of you might recognize that name. William Herschel lived in the 18th century. He lived in uh, Hanover, Germany. William Herschel uh, had a love for science and music, and he joined uh, the military band. But while he was in service, his country went to war. And uh, William Herschel was, was overwhelmed by the horrors of war. And and he fled from the battlefield. He left his unit. He deserted. And of course, the punishment for desertion was death. Uh, William Herschel fled to England and actually made a life for himself. Uh, if you recognize the name, it's because he uh, has accomplished some important scientific discoveries. I think he discovered a planet. Uh, I think he was responsible for discovering several different moons. Uh, William Herschel started to forget about the, the death sentence that loomed over him until uh, King George was crowned. King George, the new king of England, was also from Hanover. And King George knew about William Herschel's past. And one day, William Herschel received a summons to the royal court. Now, can you imagine that? (laughs) The fear when you receive that notice to come and appear before the king. So he went with fear, expecting this is it. I'm a dead man. 
He arrives and he's told to stand outside the court and eventually a servant of the king comes out and presents a letter to William Herschel. And here are the words that William Herschel read. I, George, pardon you for your past offenses against our native land. He was a deserter, but he received pardon from the king. But more than that, King George went on to make him a knight. Sir William Herschel. My friends, that is, that's a picture of the gospel, isn't it? Here is a man who is guilty, deserves condemnation, and he receives pardon from the king. And not only that, but the king makes him, well, he crowns him with honor. Makes him a son of the king, as it were. And we see that illustrated in Abraham's life. And the striking thing about Abraham is that God reckoned righteousness to him because he believed apart from works. And Abraham didn't have to add anything to his faith in order to obtain that standing before God. It was by faith alone that he was pardoned and counted to be in the right with God. He didn't have to earn it. Now, think about the, the argument here in Galatians, who Paul is trying to respond to here. Do you, do you see how what Paul is doing with Abraham completely dismantles the argument that was being made by the Judaizers? Because Paul says, okay, let's go back, let's go back to Father Abraham. You guys are saying that to really be right with God, the Gentiles need to be circumcised. Look at Abraham justified before God even had anything to say about circumcision. He believed God's promise and he was uh, making up, a, well, I'm not making it up, but the word here could be righteousized. In English, we often have trouble seeing the connection between the words justified and righteousness, but in the ancient languages, they're connected together. Uh, Jack Kinnear, someone who was here yesterday at Presbytery, used to say in seminary class, to be justified is to be righteousized, <laughs> to be declared in the right by God. And Abraham was righteousized apart from works by faith when he believed the promises of God. So this is why Paul appeals to Abraham, because it settles the whole issue in Galatia where believers were forgetting how salvation works. There is no place at the beginning of the Christian life or during the Christian life to earn anything at all. It is all of grace from start to finish. That's the first question. Here's the second question. What happens if we rely on works to save us? What happens if we rely on works of the law to save us? Look at verses 10 through 14 with me. And the answer is really stated in brief in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. You remember the book of Deuteronomy when the covenant uh, with Israel was being rehearsed uh, on the plains of Moab in Deuteronomy chapter 7. And, and God is giving this list of, 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 of curse, covenant cursing. If, if you make an idol, you are cursed. 
Uh, if you steal, you are cursed. If you pr- pervert the cause of justice for the widow and the sojourner and the orphan, you are cursed. If you commit sexual immorality, you are cursed. And on and on it goes uh, it, throughout Deuteronomy chapter 27. Anyone who breaks the law is cursed. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And in Galatians 3 verse 12, Paul says the law is not of faith. You you cannot be reckoned right in the sight of God by obedience to the law. Because what does the law require? The law requires obedience. Total, absolute, perfect obedience. And if you break one part, you break it all. That's what Paul is making clear here. Paul quotes from Leviticus 18, the one who does them shall live by them. In other words, if you're going to If you're going to go with works, if you're going to gain acceptance with God by works of the law, it's going to hurt you. And it's going to end in death. Let me go back to Martin Luther for a minute. Again, this is what troubled him so much. You know, later in his life as as a monk, uh, he went to Rome. Uh, I think it was, is it St. John's Church? You can correct me later if I'm wrong. Uh, along with thousands of others who went along this pilgrimage to eventually get to this church and climb this set of stairs. Some allegedly, some of the steps allegedly coming from Pontius Pilate's own court. So you arrive at these steps and you get down on your knees and you start crawling up the steps and uh, kissing each step along the way. And somewhere up that staircase, it dawns on Luther. It hits home with him in the midst of all of his trying and trying and trying and failing and failing and failing that text comes to his mind Habakkuk 2 for the righteous shall live by faith you see Luther was beginning to understand how salvation works the the glorious freedom of the gospel because the law says we are under The curse and the gospel says Christ took that curse for us. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. My friends, what what is what is Calvary? What is the cross? It is God the Father. In all of his holy wrath, pouring out condemnation on his very own son. Why? Because Jesus became a curse for us. You remember what he said upon the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No sense of fellowship with God. No no assurance of, of his own native sonship. He didn't say, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? But my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus Christ was cursed for us. He was condemned so that we could be pardoned. He took everything sin deserves. So that we could get heaven and joy and eternal blessing in 
Christ. So Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And so if, if, if you think, okay, that's all good. I agree with what you're saying, Jared. But, but now we've got to add to it. We've got to go on and add some things to what Christ accomplished for us upon the cross. What Paul is saying to us today is you are returning then to a yoke of slavery and not living in the liberty that God has provided for his people in Christ. So what happens if you try to rely on works of the law in order to be saved? Maybe some of you think, look, I just... I just need to read my Bible, I need to pray, I need to go to church, and God will accept me on that basis. My friends, if, if that's the route you want to take, you need to do a whole lot more than read your Bible and pray and go to church. You need to do, you need to do, you need to do a million things. And you need to do it perfectly. You need to do the law in your thought life, from your heart, in the words you speak, in the actions you perform, perfectly, personally, ongoing. And I can't do it, and you can't do it. Maybe some of us are thinking another way. Some of us could be saying, okay, Jesus' death was enough to get me saved. But now in, in our thinking, or at least in how we're living the Christian life, what we're really saying is now it's up to me. God's grace got me going, and what God got started, I'm going to finish. What started through the Spirit by faith is now going to be completed through the flesh by works. That's how some of us think about the Christian life. And Paul is saying again, my friends, that is like willingly returning to the yoke of slavery. It's like a slave who has been emancipated, set free from a harsh taskmaster, and instead of living in the liberty and freedom of that deliverance, he opts to go back to slavery. And that's what the Galatians were doing in the way that they were carrying out their, the Christian life. Here's the third question. And this is the question I said is central to this passage that I want us to think about. Why, why are you forgetting the gospel? Verses 1 through 5. And this question is for us. Why are you forgetting the gospel? The idea that goes like this. God saves me. God's grace gets me going. And now it's up to me. Right? I was rescued through the spirit by faith. Now I got to earn it. Now I need to somehow qualify myself for it. By doing a few things here and there. My friends, it nullifies grace. That's what that kind of thinking does. And so Paul is asking the Galatians, why are you forgetting the gospel? And he uses some pretty strong language in this passage, doesn't he? Beginning in, in verse 1, oh foolish Galatians. I, I, I like the, uh, the paraphrase of, of J.B. Phillips who says, oh you dear idiots. <laughs> and uh, why are you acting so idiotic? You're not thinking it through. You're not, you're not following through what the gospel says to you. Have, have you been bewitched? Has, has a witch cast a spell upon you so that you can't see anymore? Why are you leaving behind the gospel truth of justification by faith alone? You can't leave it behind. You see what Paul is saying to them, my friends, the, 
the truth of justification, of pardon and acceptance with God by faith alone, is not just a truth that gets you in the door. It is not a truth that just gets you started in the Christian life. It is a truth that you live by every day, recognizing that God accepts me solely on the basis of the work of Christ and not anything I do. We'll look again here at uh, Galatians uh, verse 3 in chapter 3. Are you so foolish? J.B. Phillips, are you so idiotic? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? What does Paul mean by being perfected by the flesh? I think in context, what he means here by flesh is our sinful efforts to self-justify. He's asking, are you now going to complete or perfect the Christian life without the Spirit by your own sinful efforts. So here's what I want you to notice today. Don't get the impression that when Paul uses the language of the flesh, that he is talking about you know, blatant immorality, blatant wickedness. To be sure, the works of the flesh in their irreligious expressions are manifested in sexual immorality, in theft, in in fits of anger, in strife, in drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. You know that list that comes later in Galatians. But the point of Galatians chapter 3 is this, that there is a religious expression of the flesh that is opposed to God and his grace. And in its religious form, the flesh is manifested as a model of the Christian life that could go like this. I've been saved by grace but now I am going to, I'm going to plumb the resources of my own virtue and my own power to be a Christian. Instead of relying upon the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, uh, by faith for enablement, the person living by the flesh relies on self. Relies upon themselves. And for sure, you and I know this, don't we? The flesh can produce a rigorous morality, can't it? Something that looks very religious, very spiritual on the outside. But my friends, if it's a morality of the flesh, not the life that results from the indwelling presence and power of the Spirit of Christ in our lives, then it's fake. It's a work of the flesh and not a work of the Spirit. So let me, let me conclude this morning with some practical suggestions for us. Asking the question, how can, how can we live in a way consistent with the gospel reality that in Jesus Christ, we are fully justified, we are fully pardoned, fully accepted in Jesus Christ, and we are being changed by the Spirit of Christ dwelling within us. How can we avoid living through the, the flesh by works and instead live the Christian life through the Spirit by faith? Very quickly here, let me mention five things that I hope in one way or another characterize every single day of our lives. 
Remember, the main question here is, why are you forgetting the gospel? So number one, this is the first thing I want to give you. Remember, that's the first word. Remember the gospel. Remember how you came to be in a right relationship with God in the first place. It is by, how does Paul put it? It is by grace through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. You see, my friends, when we remember what the gospel says to us, it means that we recognize there is nothing that we can add in order to improve upon or somehow intensify our pardon and our acceptance with God. You can never be more accepted than you already are in Christ Jesus. And that that reality, it needs to hit home with us, doesn't it? It needs to sink into our thinking and in our hearts as we live out the Christian life. Now, does this mean that there's no place for obedience in the Christian life? Of course not. All you need to do is keep reading in uh, in Galatians and Paul will make it very clear that uh, God expects Christians to refrain from certain things and to do other certain things. Does this mean that we are not to exert any effort in the Christian life? No, not at all. Second Peter chapter 5, verse 1. What does Peter say? Exert every effort. But my friends, where does that effort come from? It doesn't come from you all by yourself. It doesn't come from within, from your own resources. It comes by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. So remember the gospel number two, acknowledge. Acknowledge your utter dependence. Acknowledge in terms of John chapter 15 verse 5 that apart from Christ you can do nothing. Acknowledge with Paul in Romans 7, 18 that in my flesh there is no good thing. And acknowledge my friends that the old I who used to hate that confession is dead. And then number three, trust. There is no other way uh, for Christ to dwell in your heart than through faith. Trust in Christ. And when you trust him, what have we been learning from Galatians already? When you trust in Christ, you get everything you need for the Christian life. Because Christ is your righteousness. Christ is your life. Christ is your sanctification and your glorification. Christ is everything you need. And when you believe, it is faith that binds you to Christ. So remember the gospel. Acknowledge your utter dependence upon God. Trust in Christ. And number four, pray pray for enablement. Pray with Paul in Romans 5.21 that just as sin once reigned in death... That now grace would reign in righteousness. Reign like a king. Grace reign over my life like a king. Pray in the words of Hebrews 13.21. That God would equip you with everything good. That you may do his will. And that he might work in you that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ. And here's the fifth thing for us. Remember, these first four are essential to what comes here at the end. Remember the gospel. Acknowledge your utter dependence. 
trust in Christ, pray for enablement. And number five, the exhortation that's coming to us at the end of Galatians, live. Live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Now we're just touching the the tip of something that Paul is going to explain to us in the rest of this book. But my friends, we need to hear it today. This needs to characterize our, our lives each and every day. Remember the gospel, acknowledge your dependence, trust in Christ, pray for enablement, and be free. Be free and live for God, for freedom Christ has set you free. And so the question we return to, dear, dear friends, and, and, and it's, it's not for unbelievers today. It's, it's for those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question that I think hits a nerve is this, why have you forgotten the gospel? Why, why have you forgotten the gospel and everything that it means for you? We need to hear that question because if we're honest with ourselves, there is a tendency within all of us to think that there is something that we need to add to Jesus Christ and him crucified. Something, some work that we need to pile on top of faith in Jesus Christ and beloved, that is a damnable plus. Because Jesus Christ is all that you need. It's all that we ever need. And if we live as though we need to earn it, And my friends, what we're doing is we're leaving the gospel behind. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is a question that we need to hear. Why are you forgetting the gospel? And we recognize that's exactly what we try to do sometimes. We confess our attempts, our pathetic attempts to self-justify. Our attempts to earn something that only the perfect sinless son of God can and has earned for his people. And so, Lord, I pray that you would remind us and fill us with a sense of the sufficiency of Christ today, the sufficiency of the gospel, and fill our hearts so that they overflow to bursting because we just can't take any more of how marvelous your grace is to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.